I apologize for my scratchy voice in my head. I sound like a mixture of Darth Vader and Kermit the Frog. I don't know what it is to you, but hopefully you can hear something this morning. This time last year, this Sunday last year, Marty and I were not with you. Uh, We were having a baby um, whose birthday will be tomorrow, but this is much better. Uh, That was fun, but, but we're glad to be here. We're glad to be here this first Sunday of Advent. That was better. That was better. But not to do it again is what is what's better. To be here with you this morning. I should just stop talking now. Today we celebrate tradition. That is our theme for this morning. Tradition. It's become a bit of a fighting word. In the worship wars of church, lines were drawn between contemporary and traditional styles. We flee the tradition of our youth, tradition of the elders, tradition of our country, faith traditions, tradition, tradition, tradition. It is a fighting word, but it is a beautiful word, a word steeped in meaning, in history. It's where we've come from. It's all that's gone before us. It's a faith handed down to us generation after generation after generation, the tradition. This time of year, more than any other, we are covered in tradition from trees and wreaths to carols and nativities, church traditions, family traditions, stories told, repeated year after year, songs sung year after year, foods eaten year after year, all tradition. Mary Jo read to us a scripture, our scripture for the first Sunday of Advent, a text that comes from really deep back in our tradition. Deep in the days of the history of Judah, years after the one kingdom of Israel had divided into two nations, Israel and Judah. Judah was the nation that was home to Jerusalem and to that little city of Bethlehem. Judah had some pretty nasty kings in its past, but in this text we're told that a good king has arose. Josiah, he's only eight years old when he ascends to the throne, 26 years old. When we get our story today, rather untraditional, if you ask me, but he becomes one of the best kings in the history of Judah. He's given the news that while they're doing some random renovations in the temple, they accidentally find the law of God. It is read to him, long forgotten, now discovered texts that had been lost from their tradition. The earliest accounts of their ancestors as they followed God from Egypt to the wilderness. Stories they had never heard, they did not even know existed. But now they're here, found again, recovered God's instructions to God's people. Josiah reads them and he's he's just moved by these stories. He gathers all the people together, reads them aloud, and the people hearing God's instruction repent and revival breaks out in the country. Soon enough, the people turn away, well, soon enough, they turn again to the things that have distracted them. But for a moment in their history, they get it right. Scholars tell us that this moment in history is actually pretty significant because this story, this discovery, is what has led to the whole creation of what we call the Old Testament. If scholars are right, they believe that the writings found hidden in the temple that day became the scraps, the fragments that then the Old Testament was later written upon. The stories put together and edited that became the very first books of the Bible, the tradition recovered, retold. Without this event, we may not have known about these traditions. Traditions recovered, reinterpreted, and preserved. That's how it always is 
with tradition. It doesn't just come to us from the past untouched, but it comes through people, through times, interpreted and passed on generation to generation. As times change, traditions adapt. Yet through it all, there is a cord in the tradition that keeps us tethered all the way back to the very beginning. Now today, today we return to two traditions in our church. First, we're worshiping together. Although we've been a church of two services for 20 years, before that, for 126 years, we were a church of one service. We return to that tradition, but we do it in new ways. We're a different church than we were then. And we're a different church than we'll be 20 years from now. We also return to this service, a hanging of the green service, a service I'm not sure when the last time uh, we did it. I talked to Adam Freeberg uh, this week, and he says he remembers it, so within his lifetime, but it's been a while. A service that for many of you in your past has many memories, a service that some of you have never experienced before, but a tradition that we bring back, that we reinterpret, that we make our own this morning. As we do this, we kick off the season of Advent. It's a holy time that we return to year after year to remind us of our faith, all these traditions that we hold dear, that ours is a faith that was born in a barn in Bethlehem. And we do not just remember, we reinterpret. We ask, what does such a faith look like today? What do these practices that we celebrate every year, what do they mean? What do they mean for us? And how do they change us in our day and time? During the service and the hanging of the greens, we will decorate our church with the symbols of this time of year. Why do we do this? Well, we do it to tell the story again, to make our traditions alive and to proclaim through all times, in all places, in all ways, that Christ has come, that Christ is come, and that Christ will come again. Amen. I'm excited. A lot of times we go through these traditional times each year, and we don't know why we put up an evergreen tree in our homes. We don't know why there are ornaments on it. We don't know why we have wreaths. And today we remind ourselves why we do each of these things. And our kids actually listen, and they know why we do these things. And that's a great tradition to hand down to them. And so... With the hanging of the greens, evergreens have long been considered a symbol of eternity. Just like God's everlasting nature, ancient people viewed evergreens with awe and wonder because of its changeless, changeless nature. In Isaiah 60, 13, it tells us, The glory of Lebanon shall come unto thee, the fir tree, the pine tree, and the box together, to beautify the place of my sanctuary. Though evergreens have long been viewed with reverence, it has only been in the past four centuries that Christians have used evergreen to decorate their homes and sanctuaries. The evergreen we use reminds us of God's vastness, God's abiding love in Jesus Christ, and of our never-ending fellowship with Christ, who is our Lord. The Advent custom of decorating the evergreen branches comes to us from the peasants of the Middle Ages who believe that preparation should be made for the coming of Jesus. On the first Sunday of Advent, 
each family would gather evergreens and place them near the hearth in their home. We continue that tradition today by hanging the greens in our congregational home, the sanctuary. The evergreen reminds us of God's abiding love in Jesus and our eternal relationship with God. As we sing this next song, O come all ye faithful, if the children would all head to the back, they will begin our hanging of the greens. that our continuation of life and life without end. The four candles encircle the Christ candle in the center that signifies God's Son as the light of the world. The four candles represent the four weeks in Advent. The four themes of Advent, hope, peace, joy, and love. 
Each Sunday, we will light a candle, and on Christmas Eve, the Christ candle will be lit. With increasing brightness from the candles, we will experience the light of the world and find hope in the coming of Jesus. As we sing, When God is a Child, the Advent wreath will make its way to the front. On the walls of our church during Advent and throughout the year, we have beautiful pieces of art we call pyramids. Pyramids is an old Latin word that is given to the cloths hung seasonally in a church. We are blessed to have unique handmade pyramids by our own church member, Mary Johnson. Mary brings her quilting and sewing skills together with a keen awareness of the Christian year to create these one-of-a-kind pieces of art. She has been told she could make a lot of money if she sold her work, but she doesn't do it for money. She creates these pieces as a blessing to her church family at worship. 
The pyramids we hang today for Advent are some of the prettiest Mary has made for us. We will hang a set of three that together depict the journey from Bethlehem for the birth and adoration of Jesus. Notice that in all of these, the baby Jesus is not present, for this is Advent, and we are still awaiting the Messiah. Mary is still pregnant as she rides a donkey, and the manger is still empty as we wait for the coming of the Lord. Also, along our south wall, we will hang a blue banner every week of Advent, which corresponds to the theme of the Advent candle that we light each Sunday. The first Sunday of Advent is traditionally the Sunday of Hope, and so today we hang the Hope banner. As our pyramids are hung, we will be blessed with an English Advent carol sung by Gary Fox and Lori Van Dyke.
before the advent of Christianity, plants and trees that remained green all year had a special meaning for people in the winter. It was believed that hanging evergreens in your home would keep away evil spirits and illness. Germany is credited with starting the Christmas tree tradition in the 16th century when devout Christians brought decorated trees into their homes. And Martin Luther, the 16th century Protestant reformer, is credited with first adding lighted candles to a tree. Walking toward his home one winter evening, he was awed by the brilliance of stars twinkling amidst evergreens. To recapture the scene for his family, he erected a tree in the main room and wired its branches with lighted candles. In the 1800s, German settlers introduced the Christmas tree to the United States. By 1883, the Sears and Roebuck Company began selling the first artificial Christmas trees, 33 limbs for 50 cents and 55 limbs for a dollar. For Christians, the use of an evergreen tree at Christmas time reminds us of the eternal presence of our Lord and the eternal life that we find in Christ. The small white lights used on our tree represent each person who makes up the body of Christ. By working together, as do all of these lights, we can shine as brightly in our city as a light of Christ. Our, our Christmas tree has another name. It's a Christmon tree. The Christmon tree is decorated with traditional and modified ancient Christian symbols called Christmons. The word Christmon comes from the combination of Christ's monograms. Our Christmons have been hand-stitched over the years by members of our church, making them even, even more meaningful to us today. Each one is unique and contains a Christian symbol that represents Christ. We now invite those who are going to hang the remaining Christmas to come forward and tell us the meaning of the Christmas you hang. And I'm going to hang the first one. And it is a cross, and it is called the Irish or Celtic cross. And it's a normal cross with a circle that is in the middle to symbolize eternity. And the rest of you that have Christmas can bring them on up and uh, tell us at the floor mic what yours represents, and we'll put them on the tree. Alpha and Omega are the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. Used together, they symbolize that Christians believe Jesus is the beginning and the end of all things. The white rose is a symbol of purity and can represent Mary. The ship is also a symbol of the church sailing towards heaven. The trifoil is three equal circles intertwined to form a whole. This symbol represents the Trinity of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And the florca, or Upsilon cross, comes from the Greek letter Upsilon. It is also called the Thieves cross, from the two graves, or two robbers that were crucified on each side of Jesus. It also symbolizes the choice between good and evil. The shepherd's first death. Remember that Jesus sometimes called himself a shepherd. It is also represented as the shepherds who were the first people told about Jesus' birth. 
five-pointed star represents the five wounds of Jesus on the cross. The keys are a symbol for the church and all the world. Jesus told his friend Paul, I will give you the keys of heaven. So this means Christians have to tell other people about Jesus. The dove is a symbol of peace and the Holy Spirit. It is shown pointing down to represent the Holy Spirit that appeared as a dove when Jesus was baptized. The candle represents that Christians believe Jesus is the light of the world. The butterfly is a symbol for transformation and the immortal soul.
on now to the nativity scene. Possibly the best known Christmas decorating tradition is the scene of Bethlehem, where the birth itself took place. There was a stable filled with animals, shepherds, and angels. Mary and Joseph watched in wonder as visitors came searching for their child, baby Jesus. St. Francis is credited with creating the first nativity scene in the year 1223. Inspired by the recent visit to the Holy Land that he had taken, and since then, Christians have followed his example. Today, we set this scene before us during the Advent season as a reminder of God's gift to us. During the first three, ver- or, I'm sorry, the first two verses of Away in a Manger, if our youth and young adults will set our nativity scene for us. over the years unbreakable plastics and so at this time we're going to ask our children to come forward as they set up our children's little people nativity set this is something that we found very uh, very helpful not just to the children last year we actually had several adults that appreciated this as well Um, it's a way to make this nativity more accessible to people. Allow them to move pieces around, to play, to enjoy and experience the birth of Christ in a new way. Let's continue now with verse 3 in a way with a, in a major.
into the cup. A tradition that's about as old as communion itself. One of the traditions of our 8.30 worship service is to come forward and to share communion. And it really reminds us what communion is. It's not a private moment of fellowship between you and God, but it's a time when we remember the whole body of Christ. That is every one of us, brothers and sisters in Christ. So as you come, you pass people in the aisle, you bump into them, you say hello, you shake their hand, you give them a hug. We're family, and we come to this table together as family. So we invite you now to prepare to come to the table as we sing this hymn of preparation. Let us talents and tongues employ. opportunity to decorate our house of worship today for the Advent season. As we prepare for the celebration of Christ's birth, help us remember that the true reason for the season is all about God's wonderful gift to us in Bethlehem so many years ago. As we prepare to share communion with these elements that represent our Lord's blood and body, help us to be truly thankful for all you have given us. Amen. When you come, we'll have three stations up front. You can go to whoever you choose. Take communion, return to your seats for our closing hymn. You may also bring your offerings as you come. Plates are provided at the front of the aisle. These are the gifts of God. For you, the people of God, everyone's invited now to come and to share these gifts. 